Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Rise Church, and uh, we're continuing our series called Him and Her, and we're so excited because, man, we've really been talking about some things, what God has to say about marriage and relationships, and we've been having a lot, a lot of fun. And so, uh, man, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 19. That's where we're going to be. We want to welcome all of our first-time guests. If you're a guest with us for the very first time, we're honored that you're here. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here on behalf of our staff, all of our pastors, and just our, our, our team, and we're just so excited that you're here. I always encourage... Uh, uh, if you are a guest, to come at least three times and you kind of get in a feel of the church. It's always hard to do that in like a one time. Hey, I could be off uh, one day. I could be today. I could, you know, our worship team maybe didn't do it. They're always incredible, but uh, may, maybe it's something about me you didn't like. Hey, give me two more chances and maybe I can turn your, uh, your mind around. So anyway, uh, we always try to help you come back at least three times. I want to welcome our podcast listeners. We have a, a actually incredible podcast. You guys might not know this. Here's what's amazing. You're a part of it physically, but we have many, many people who are part of our church uh, just electronically and through our podcast, Digital World. And uh, just, I always like to say hi to them because someone's uh, listening to, on the treadmill or driving to work right now and listening. And so, uh, how, why don't you do this? Why don't you welcome them? Everybody say hi on three. One, two, three. There you go. See, now they're in the family. So anyway, um, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, hey, we're, we're really talking about a series on marriage and relationships. Before I, I talk, I like to give some ground rules. I don't do this for all of our series, but uh, this week, I'm, I'm, or this particular series, I do this because it's a sensitive series in nature. And so first rule is this, is I'm not uh, speaking to you as an expert, okay? I'm not speaking to you as like a teacher. I'm speaking to you as a student, and we're all growing and learning together. And so what we're doing is we're going to the expert, the teacher, the guy who knows everything, and that's God. And so, because he made relationships, he made marriage, he knows what that, what that does and how, how to deal with that and how hard it is to live with a man. Come on, ladies, right? How hard it is to live with a, a lady. Guys, don't say nothing. Now, you don't win with that. But just, hey, there's a, there's a, there's a tension when it comes to putting two people together inside of the world. And so uh, I just want you to know, like, I'm learning just as long with you as you're learning. We're going to learn together. Okay? Everybody say okay. All right. Second thing is this. I'm going to speak sensitively because I know that when we talk about marriage and relationships specifically, you know, it could touch some sensitive and emotional issues. And some of you in here have, might not have had the greatest relationships. Maybe you come from a broken relationship, maybe a broken family, and your marriages have not been the greatest. I know that sometimes that can bring up some emotions that are really tough to deal with, and I want to be honoring to that. So I'm going to speak with some authority, but I'm going to speak sensitively. And just know that my heart and our heart here at our church is for you to find a home. That's our goal, is for you to find a spiritual family and a home. And so uh, last week we talked about um, really, that, that all, all great relationships, every great relationship that I know and that you know of, did not get there on accident. They were actually intentionally grown, that you and I ne never look at a great relationship and go, man, they must have just found their love. There is no the one. That doesn't make sense. I know Disney tries to teach us that, but that is not the truth, that oftentimes in relationships, when you take one flawed person and put it with another flawed person and you put them together, you need God to do something inside of that so it can be great. And so it takes really good intentional living for us to have great relationships. And everybody gets somewhere, but very few people get there on purpose. And we want to be the people that get there on purpose, right? That's what we want to do. We want a great relationship, get to the end of our life and say, man, we did something incredible for God, with God inside of our relationships. And so last week we introduced this idea of a relationship triangle, and I'll kind of show it to you uh, as well. And it came from a guy named Robert Sternberg, he's a PhD at Yale, and he did like 40 years of study, and he looked at like some common correla correlations and characteristics of relationships, 
And, what, uh, and he said all of them, all of them that were successful and healthy had these three things in their, life, in their relationship. They had friendship, commitment, and romance. And last week we talked about friendship and how we should have great relationships built on friendship. And God desires for us to do that as well. In Genesis chapter 2, he introduced uh, marriage and God made man and made Adam. And then he realized, man, that guy left unto himself is not a good thing. And ladies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you left your man by himself, that's when... All of it went wrong. And so he, he brought in, God recognized that and brings in woman to be here, his, his helper. And uh, really, it's a friend. And so we want to have built friends uh, and friendships inside of our relationship. We talked about all great friendships, believe in each other, they celebrate differences, and they're transparent. But today, we're going to talk about the second piece of that, in which is commitment. We're going to talk about commitment today. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 19. If you don't, we put them on version, our Bible app. I highly encourage you to download it. You can see my notes and know exactly where I'm going. And uh, you can actually keep them throughout the week, and we kind of let you see uh, for, for the notes. But before we read... Matthew 19, I want to give you some context of kind of what's going on. Uh, Matthew is a gospel, uh, is what we call a gospel. It's one of four gospels in the New Testament, it's kind of the second part of the Bible. And in the New Testament, um, uh, it, has, it starts with the four gospels or the life of Jesus. And Matthew is one of the lives of Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are all just stories of Jesus' life. And in the story of Jesus' life in Matthew, in chapter 19, in that season, he's already in ministry. And he's walking around, and he's healing people, and he's doing ministry. And in that season, in that time of ministry, there were two primary Jewish rabbi teachers. There were two big ministry kind of schools of ministry. There's a guy named Hillel and a guy named Shammai. And really those two guys were the two primary authorities or what we would call interpretations of the Torah or of scripture that they had at the time. And so anytime you see a rabbi who said they spoke with authority, you see that in the Bible. The Bible says Jesus spoke with authority. What they were referencing was is his interpretation or his yoke. Y'all have heard that? Have y'all ever heard that in the scriptures where the Bible says Jesus actually says, take my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's talking about his interpretation and his authority of scripture. And those two guys had an interpretation of divorce and commitment levels inside of marriage that were extremely different. And they're debating and they're talking about it. And they said, well, let's just go to Jesus because this guy's like doing incredible things and he's walking around and, and changing lives. Let's see what he has to say. Let's see what his interpretation or his yoke or his authority has to say on it. In Matthew chapter 19, we pick it up in verse three and it says, and the Pharisees came to him and tested him by saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read? This is Jesus answer. He said, have you not read? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. It said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave. Everybody say, hold fast. Come on, like you mean it, like got Red Bull, and you say, hold fast. Hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's an interesting way to say it, Jesus. And he goes on to even double down. It's like when you have kids and you told them something and they don't like see you and they're paying attention to like Pokemon or whatever they're doing, you know, you're like, no, 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 listen to what I'm saying to you. Jesus repeats it, and he says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, well, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, ever say the beginning, the beginning, it was not so, so they ask him a question and Jesus takes it back to Genesis, which is what we talked about last week when Jesus said, hey, here's how we're going to put them, the two together and they're going to become one flesh. Jesus actually quotes Old Testament Torah scripture because Jesus was a rabbi and he knew the Torah. And so he quotes God's original intent and he brings up, they get into this debate on what do you do when you're struggling with commitment? 
Like, what do you do when you're looking at the guy or the girl that you, you, you profess your love and commitment under God? Like, what do you do when, when you're struggling with this idea of commitment? And Jesus answers it in a unique way, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But with that as our backdrop, I, the, the title of my message today, if you're taking notes, which I highly encourage you to do, is Till Death Do Us Part. Till Death Do Us Part. Let's pray. Father, we just love you, God. Thank you that we're here for you. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now, Lord, you would speak in only the way that you can, God. You know what we're going through. You know what issues we're having. You know the commitment levels we're struggling with. You know what we're trying to get to, God. And I pray right now that you would just use this message to speak to us, encourage us, build us up, God. Give us everything that we need as we walk out of here today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I want to read you something I read the other day. I thought it was funny. He said, a woman awoke during the night to find her husband was not in bed. She thought that was odd, so she put her robe on and went downstairs, and he was sitting at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee in front of him, and he appeared to be in deep thought, just kind of staring at the wall. Now, how many of y'all guys have done that before, just had those moments, right? And she saw him wipe a tear from his eye and took a sip from his coffee. He was crying, and she walked up to him and said, what's the matter, dear? Why are you down here this time of night crying? And she asked, and he, he said, do you remember about 20 years ago when we were dating, the only, and you were only 16 years old. And she said, yes, babe, I, I, under, I remember that. I remember, I remember that exact time. And he said, do you remember when your father caught us in the backseat of my car making, and we were making out? Do you remember that? She goes, yes, I remember that. I, it, was a, it was a crazy time. He says, do you remember? He kind of cuts her off. He says, do you remember when he shoved that shotgun he had in, his, in my face? And he said, you either marry my daughter now, or you spend the next 20 years in jail, she said, yes, I, I do remember that. It was a crazy time, honey. And he wiped another tear from his eye, looked up. He said, you know, I would have finished those 20 years just today. <laughs> I'd have gotten out. Some of you will catch that on the way home. Um, you know, commitment in marriage is hard. And here's what I find. I know just being in a pastor for many years and being in ministry, I've sat and I've cried with many relationships and many marriages. I've celebrated with many relationships, many marriages. And one thing I've noticed about all marriages is that at one time, you and I will be tempted to throw in the towel. There are all times in all of us, we all have the same correlation. If you're married, you're in a relationship, there's always been, there's either been a moment, gonna be a moment, or maybe that moment is you right now where you're tempted with this idea of commitment. You're looking for even maybe the way out. There's some moments when we're, we're struggling, we're, we're, we're stressed, we're tensioned. I remember when I was uh, just getting married, we're coming up on our 12th year of marriage, my wife and I, and, and uh, I think we just passed it. I don't know, she's not here right now, so I'm sorry. And so uh, uh, she's taking care of my kids, it's sick. And, uh, but, but we're coming, you know, we're 12 years marriage, and, and she, she and I, when we first got married, we got pregnant like right away. And our first kids were not one kid. We had twins. And, uh, you know, having one kid come out, you're like, oh, that's great. Having two kids comes out, like, oh, this is crazy. You know, they're everywhere. And, and you're nervous, and you don't know what to do. And you're first-time parents, and you're trying to be, figure out this thing called marriage, and there's a lot of things going on. And what I find interesting is that in that season of life, because we were so stressed out, and we didn't know how to do life and didn't know how to do marriage, and I wasn't a good husband, and she wasn't necessarily a good wife, and we were just doing things what we thought was right. And I grew up as a Christian, and I loved God, and yet I still got to a point, my wife and I still got to a point where we were contemplating this thing called divorce. We were 
we were contemplating this idea of commitment. We were finding and trying to figure out ways out. We had gotten lawyers. We were trying to figure out if our boys were going to separate. Like, would one kid go this way and would another kid go this way? Or would we keep them together and you have them for a certain period of time? We were literally walking through it. And it was the worst, most dark time in our marriage. And I remember looking at her and saying, saying man, if this is what marriage is, then, man, I'm not sure I want that. Now, I was a pastor at the time. I was working for Jesus at the time. I was a Christian at the time. I loved God at the time. So it's not a Christian thing. It's not like a, you know, whether or not you're Christian, you know, that means your marriage is great. Hey, how many of y'all Christian marriages out there? How many of y'all are like, nothing ever happens to you, right? We're great. Everything's great. That's not the way that it works. And I've noticed that as a pastor, the best thing that we can do as a church, let me just tell you, can I just take a moment to share with you my heart? You could be having a great marriage right now. And my, my statement and message to you is that you need to know this. God loves you. You have a pastor who is for you. And this church wants to make your house a home. You could be where we were in my marriage at that time. Where you're looking right now, and this is maybe the last Hail Mary for you. And this marriage series, you were contemplating, maybe you and your wife had talked about, you and your husband had even talked about it. Hey, if this doesn't work, I don't know what we're going to do. This could be it. And if you're in that season right now, you need to know this, that I'm a hope dealer. Somebody asked me, like, what do you do for a living? I deal hope. Like, because Jesus is, a, is the God of hope. And so all I do is deal Jesus. I'm a hope dealer. And I want to give you hope today. And if you're in that season, you need to know this, that you have a God who loves you, a pastor who's for you, and a church that want to make your house a home. Okay, okay, okay. I'll do one, I'll do one, I'll do one better. Let's say you have already separated and maybe you are, have had a divorce and you're on your second marriage or maybe you're in that separation season right now and things seem dark and lifeless and you feel like you have no hope and you don't know where you're going to go and you thought you married your love of your life and you thought everything was going to go right and then it all went wrong. I want to tell you the same story. You have a God who loves you. You have a church who's for you. You're, you're, you we're for you. And you have a pastor who's for you. And you have a church who wants to make your house a home. There is always hope in Jesus. There's always hope in Jesus. And regardless of what season you come from and what your past might look like, today's a message for you. Because it's about what God originally intended when it comes to this idea of commitment. Think about it. Jesus gets asked this question. And what he does is so unique. What he does is he does two things. He says he makes the people not look towards one thing, like look away from this, and then I want you to look towards this. This is what he does. The first thing he does is he says, I don't want you to look. I want you to look away from the fence. I want you to look away from just trying to look for the ways to get out of it. It's interesting how the Bible talks about it. The Matthew chapter 19 says they tested him and asked him if it's lawful for divorce, and on the surface, it would seem like the Pharisees are trying to do something kind of holy. They're trying to do something right and just. And Jesus asks, answers them and says, hey, from the beginning, it wasn't 
So it was, it was God made male and female. It wasn't like that from the beginning. My, my original intent was unique. And so if you look at that on the surface, that conversation looks like they're trying to ask him a question, but Jesus recognizes a spirit in them, which is the spirit that's in our churches, it's in our culture, it's in our society, it's in our families, it's in our life. And it's the spirit of always looking for the way out. And what he was trying to show them is if you're looking for the way out of something, you often will find it. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when you get into your job, let's just say, when you go to work, and if you go to work always trying to find all the ways that that job is wrong or all the ways you're trying to get out of the job, you typically find all the ways that are wrong and all the reasons to leave. And what he was saying was he's saying, stop looking for the fence. Stop looking at what... I know that the Pharisees seem like they're being holy and they're like asking questions like, well, we want to ask so that we can help these people and we're trying to honor the Torah. They weren't trying to honor the Torah. They weren't trying to honor God. What they were doing is they were emboldening especially men because in that season, women weren't treated as equals. They were treated as property. They were treated as, like, as less than. It wasn't like it was now. It was treated. They were treated terrible. And so what, they were, what he was really asking, the Pharisees were asking on behalf of guys who wanted to throw their wives that they made a commitment to they want to throw them out for any reason. And they were trying to validate that in, with Jesus. And Jesus says, hold on, before I even get to this commitment issue, you need to know that you can't be committed to the thing you're always trying to get out of. That there's got to be something in your spirit, something in your heart that says, I'm in this because God put us together. I, I, I had a, a goat when I grew up. If any of you have been around here, I've told this story, not this particular story, but I've told stories about, you know, my life as a farmer. And people are like, you were a farmer with those skinny jeans? Yes, I was a farmer. And, uh, and um, I mean, maybe not in the strictest sense of the word, but I was. I, I farmed and had, um, had some animals, and one of the animals we had was a goat. And I remember when we brought this goat, we had several acres, and we had a fence around our, our acreage so we can keep our, 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 our animals in. And what was different about this goat that every other animal didn't do, all the other animals we had would come home, they would come hang out with us, they'd be around the family, they'd be around us, we'd spend time. I never saw that goat. That goat would go out and he would walk her. She would walk around. She'd hit all the fences. She was always trying to find a way out of the yard. She was always trying to find it. She would, and she would never come back. I never got to hang out with her. She never knew what it was like to be a part of our family because she ain't one never around. And so she was always looking for the fence. She was always looking for the way out. And what was interesting about that goat is the only time she got hurt, the only time she, was, she felt like she didn't eat, the only time that she wasn't doing good in her life was when she was around that stinking fence. She never was close to us. She was always looking for the way out. And the same thing is true for our relationships, that if you and I are never close to our spouse, if we're never coming home with our hearts, we're never coming home with our spirit, if you're always on the fence with your relationship and your marriage, come on. If you're always on the fence, if you're always one in and one out, hey, I'm just waiting. You do something. Give me a reason. Give me a reason. And God forbid you say that to them or something happens. They know. Your spouse knows if you're, if you're looking for a reason. It's like, just give me a reason to say I'm out. Like, give me a reason to throw my ring at you. I'm done. Well, yeah, guess what? If you're looking for it, you're going to find it. And what Jesus was saying is stop looking at the fence. Stop looking for ways to get out because here's why. The danger of fence finding is when you start to live your life on the edge all the time, fence finders become fence pushers because that stinking goat would push the fence over. If she'd get close to the fence, she kept running, she'd bump into it. I'm like, why do we even have this go? Get rid of this thing. And so she'd push the fence, the fence would be pushed. And there are fence pushers in our lives where we push the line 
And then eventually she just become fence pushers, become fence jumpers. And she just jumped the fence. And every time she jumps, she get hurt. And every time you jump the fence in your marriage, you get hurt. Every time you jump the fence in your commitment, you get hurt. Every time you get around the line, come on, you ever cross the line in your marriage? You get right up to the edge. Come on, y'all, right up the edge at your marriage. I've never met a marriage who was like, man, we live our lives on the edge. And it's awesome. He could leave at any time. And I'm like thrilled about it. Like what? Nobody ever says that. But we live our lives like that. I remember I was in Utah um, a couple years back and we were doing a, a video shoot. We had a guide and, and in Utah, there's a lot of caverns and mountains and, and there's like these cliffs that you can get to. You can get to like these cliff areas. And like, if you were to fall down, like it would not be good. And we're out there video, I'm filming and I'm like standing back and like there's a cliff behind me and, and the guide comes up to us and he says, hey, you want to know the best way, the, 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 the safest way, the easiest way not to fall off a cliff? And I was like, I'm waiting for something deep, like, you know, something like, He's like, going to give me something like from his tails as a, you know, as a guide in a Utah wilderness backpacking. And I'm listening and I lean in and he goes, just don't get close to it. I'm like, oh, that's deep, man. You know how you don't fall off the, the cliff in your marriage? You don't get close to it. You know how you not cross the line in your marriage? You don't get close to it. Some of you in here, you're, you're too close to the line. You, 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 we do this a lot in our relationships where you're like, you're, you're, too close to that, that, you're too close to that girl. That's not your wife. That's your job. You're too close to that guy. That isn't your husband. That's your friend. You're too close. You're too, you're too close. Like, well, pastor, it's okay. I, I, I'm not saying it's not okay. I'm saying you, you, you're too close. Because here's what happens. The closer you are to the cliff, the easier it is for you to fall off. And Jesus was saying, stop looking for the way out. The, more you, the closer you get to that cliff, stop living your life on the edge. There is no godly relationship that flirts with disaster all the time. Like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to live over here. You don't live. That's not safe. That's not what we call wise in our relationships. And so he says, you can't be committed to the thing you're always trying to get out of. He says, don't look towards the fence. He said, this is what he says to do. He says, but if you're going to do something, look towards God's original intent. Interesting how he highlights that. While everyone was trying to figure out ways to get out of the relationship, he points people to the ways to stay in it. Come on, that's Jesus thinking. Pharisee thinking is, how, what's the loophole? What's the loophole? How little can I do in this marriage and still be called a Christian and still be in relationship? How little can I do? How close to the edge can I get? And Jesus says in Matthew 19, he says, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father, leave, everybody say leave, and leave his father and his mother, and hold fast, cleave, everybody say cleave. There's a, the other translation would say cleave there. So leave and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one, where God has joined together, let no man separate. God's original intent was that a marriage was a spiritual union to leave a one's uh, you know, parents and life and come and cleave to his wife. And we want to leave and cleave. That's a spiritual talk because physically when you get married, we're still two people physically, but spiritually God's done something unique. He's done something mathematical miracle. And all of a sudden now what was two is now one and it's spiritual. And so anytime you're trying to fix a marriage issues physically, oftentimes you're going to run into some roadblocks because marriage wasn't intended to be just a physical union. It's not just a contract, even though that's what the government says. It's a covenant. This thing was designed in covenant. It was designed before laws were there. 
So it's not a contract, it's a covenant, it's a spiritual thing. And so for us to win in the, our marriages and win with commitment, we got to think spiritually. And so God actually sends us this kind of spiritual blueprint for marriage in Hosea. Hosea is a book of the Bible, it's kind of towards the Old Testament. And you know what, you can flip through it, you probably pass it quick if you didn't have one of those, you know, Num, number tags to kind of help you get there easily. Um, but it's a, he, Hosea was a minor prophet. He's not one of the major prophets in Caesarea. And the only difference is that major prophets wrote more, minor prophets wrote less. You know, would you like to be that guy where you're like, man, I want to be a major prophet. I should have just kept writing. Yeah, you should have. So he, uh, he, was, he was writing and God was in that scripture sharing kind of his marriage to the, to the children of Israel, to his covenant people. And it was really a great blueprint for our marriages inside of our lives. And this is what he says in Hosea chapter two. He says, I will betroth you. I will marry you to me forever. But I say forever. So we want to be married forever. We want to be with our, we want to make it to the end of this line with one woman, one man. We want to get there and, and them like us. Okay. Right. We want them to like us, not just to win. We want to get there forever. And he says, yes, I will betroth you to me. He said in righteousness, justice, loving kindness, and mercy. That's what God says. He says, you want to have a marriage based on commitment. You want to make it forever. You want to make your marriage cleave and cleave to these things. The first one is this is righteousness. This is holy driven living. This is holy driven living. How do you become righteous with God? You know, the New Testament sends Jesus. Jesus does this thing called the great exchange. Even it's like we give God. This is how incredible God is. If you're not a believer in here and you don't know Jesus and you don't believe in any of this stuff, this is, this is why you should consider it because here's how great God is. God literally makes an incredible exchange. We walk into his presence and we give him all of our sin, all of our issues, all of our problems. And you know, you're not perfect, even though we pretend like we are. And so we give him all of our imperfections and all of our issues and all of our problems and all of our sin. And we say, God, here you can have it. And God doesn't turn around and laugh at us. God doesn't turn around and give it back to us. God doesn't sit around there and judge you. What God turns around and does is he gives you his righteousness, his holiness. And so we're now made right in the eyes of God because of what Jesus does. Isn't that good? That's the good news of the, of the gospel. And so if that's how righteousness works with our relationship with God, that's how righteousness works in our relationship with our spouse. It's holy driven leadership. It's holy driven relationships. It's a holy driven life. So we're leaving a life of worldly thinking, sinful thinking, prideful thinking, selfish thinking in our marriage. And we're going to cleave to our holy, godly, Christ-centered thinking inside of our lives. That if you want to be committed and you want to make it in your marriage and have your spouse love you or have your, be in your relationship and have a godly relationship, hey, maybe you're in here and you're just, you're on your way to marriage. These are good for you. Start building in this right now. Start, start putting some foundation principles in it right now. This is the what would Jesus do principle. Y'all remember those bracelets, like those wristbands? Anybody still wearing them? You know, it's like in the, from the 90s or whatever. This is WWJD. And how often do we, it's going back to that principle. I know it was kind of cheesy or whatever, but man, it was so good. Because oftentimes I don't do what Jesus would do in my relationship. I do what Aaron would do in the relationship. And I've noticed that the more I do what I do, it don't seem to work. Can I get a, an amen in here? Anybody else like that? Like, no, I know what to do, pastor. I don't need what the Bible says to tell me to do. Like, I know what to do. And then you do it and you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's how, we, that's how it happens. Why? Because we didn't do it the way God wants us to do. You need to live like someone's watching. I remember um, my pastor told me this one time. He said, Aaron, you need to live your life, especially with your wife, like someone's watching because someone always is. God. Yeah, he's always watching. That, that's his daughter. Be careful. That's his son. Be careful. He's, he's watching. 
Live your life like always, somebody's always watching. This is, this is, if you're a guy in here, I want to give you just a thought. You know, this type of living is, is, is different than the world. It's not sitcom-driven, culture-driven leadership or living. They say, you know, if you're a guy in here, sitcoms and TV and culture and all those things, everything will tell you right now. You know what? If you're a man, you, you have two options. You either be a tyrant or you be absent. You're either a tyrant or you're absent. You either rule with an iron fist and you're king of your castle or you're not there at all. And neither of those are godly or biblical. And so God's asking you to step into a sacrificial form of leadership because the Bible says you should love your wife as Christ loved the church. And the only way you can talk about that in any sense of the word is sacrificial because Jesus came down and sacrificed for his church. So yeah, it ain't you. It ain't about you. You're not king of your castle. Jesus is king of your castle and you're just stewarding the things that God gave you. And if you look at it like that, you're gonna be committed for a long period of time because you're gonna be working on that thing called righteousness. The second thing is this, is justice. This is character-driven living. Justice is rooted in this word called just, doing the right thing. It's the right thing based on who you are and not what's happening around you. This is character-driven living. Character simply means this is the ability to do what's right. Ever say right? Come on, like it's to be able to do what's right no matter the circumstance. So it doesn't matter what happens to you. It's what matters is what's happening in you that determines what happens out of you. And so you are honoring people. You honor your husband. Here's why you, ladies, can I just give you a piece of advice? Can I just, can I, please, is this okay? This is, I'm going to use my spiritual change that if you trust me with anything, I'm going to ask you to do this on behalf of your husband. If you want a better husband, start with honoring him. Okay, I know what the first thing happens. But you don't know what he does. He ain't somebody worth honoring. I'm so happy you said that because biblical honor is never rooted in what the other person is, does, has, winds up being, tries up teaching. It has nothing to do with them. Biblical honor rooted under Christ has everything to do with who you are. You don't honor your husband because he earned it. If that happened, you'd never honor him. I know I'm a husband. I don't deserve oftentimes the honor that my wife gives me, but yet when she honors me and steps in the position, you know why she honors me? It's not because I'm good. It's because, man, she's amazing. She honors me because she is because of who God created her to be. It's her character and how she lives her life. She has already made a decision. Come on, ladies, we, you, y'all need make a decision. I'm a woman of God, and honestly, that crazy person that I married... Somehow doesn't seem to get it, but as long as I honor him, I'm giving him the greatest opportunity to be the man of my dreams. Come on, that's good. That's what we need. We need to be like that in both of our lives and our relationships. There's got to be, we're not circumstance driven. So here's what that means. A bad day comes, right? And oftentimes, here's how we do it. We wait for the day. So if it's a good day, we have a good day with our spouse. If it's an okay day, we have an okay day with our spouse. If it's a bad day, we have a bad day with our spouse. That's circumstance-driven. That's not character-driven living. That's circumstance-driven living. So we need to leave the circumstance-driven living life, and we need to cleave to the, no, I'm living with a character-driven life. I'm just. I'm doing right because that's who God created me to be. So if there's money in the bank, I'm treating my spouse the same way I would if we had a million dollars in the bank. Come on. Money is one of the biggest things people fight about. If, if, if our kids are acting normal, then I'm treating my spouse the same way if my kids were acting crazy. Because I'm just, I'm, it's who I, it's who I am. Third one is this, loving kindness. This is service-driven leadership. We're committing. We're talking about commitment, how to have a commitment in marriage, how to have commitment in our relationships. We're going to be service-driven living here with our loving kindness. The Hebrew word there for it is kased, 
which is loving kindness, or it's kreis yumai, which means, uh, which is in the Greek, which is full of service to others. So if you translated kindness or loving kindness, it literally means this. It means to be of service to others. The question you need to ask yourself is, is do you wake up on a regular basis and looking ways to serve your spouse? Come on, like for real. Or do you wake up every day looking to be served by your spouse? Like, how do you get up in the morning? How do you posture your life? Because the Bible says if you want to be committed, we need to have this era of loving kindness. And that literally means for us to be service-driven. So I need to wake up in my days. I need to leave the idea of selfish living. God, I want her to serve me. God, I want it to be about me. God, I want you to do it for me. God, what, what about me? I don't, if, I don't, if something doesn't take care of me, then I'm me. I'm pretty amazing. So me, it's about me. And so if you don't do it with me, because I need me. And if it's me, me, me. And he says, leave the me world and move over into the service world. We're going to cleave to the idea that I am here to serve my spouse. My job is to make her life better. My job is to make his life better. I'm going to leave the selfish living and, and, and lean into the, the service living of my life. It's not just like intangible, like weird pseudo feelings. You know, like you wake up and you look at each other's eyes like, I love you. I'm here to serve you. Oh, you know, you don't have, you know what I've noticed about Great marriages that last and do well in this, they don't tell, tell them that they're serving them. They just serve them. You don't need to highlight every time you do something, guys. Well, babe, I, I mowed the lawn. I take care of my kids. Well, you should take care of your kids. I, you should mow the lawn. You should love people. Like, you should be a great. What do you want? Like, you want me to give you a gold star? You want me to give you a hug, high five for doing what you should do? I'll give you a gold star when you step above what you should do. Like, this is just so that you can make it, man. Come on. Right? Because we want to make it long-term. And the last one is this, is mercy is mercy. God says you need to commit to cleaving to mercy. This is, this is what I call let it go living. Let it go living. Um, it's interesting how, I, I, I mean, you know, counsel many people, maybe thousands, a couple, just a lot. Just, you know, when you're a pastor, it's what you do. And, and I, I'll sit in front. I talk to Pastor Jason about this all the time. Like, we, we sit with people, and, um, and it's, it's, it's amazing to me. And, and I do it, too, so I'm not judging people. But we're all like this. And oftentimes, when you get to the root of what the problem was, it tends to be about nothing. Like, it tends to be about nothing. She, she didn't fold my clothes the way that I wanted her to. And I just took offense to that. And I'm like, okay. And I want to tell you, like, Really? But I don't because I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh, I love you and God's real for you and stuff. But inside, I'm like, come on. Really? You know, I've talked to women. You know, God, man, he just doesn't matter. You know, he didn't take out the garbage when I asked him to. And he took him out. And it's just like, really? And all I want to do, all, every time I hear somebody like that, and I'm not devaluing things that are not, that are issues. That's not, don't hear me when I'm saying that. But if you're going to make it long term, can I just give you a practical thing to do? You need to learn how to sing that dumb song from Frozen. <laughs> Queen Elsa had it right. She just did. Pastor Jason hates this movie. And I love it. And it's like, you know, I don't have any girls in my house and all my boys love this princess movie. I'm like, guys, come on. Let's watch Rambo or something. Like, let's go. You know, let's go shoot something. Go do something. Come on, let's go be boys. And they're in the back singing, let it go. Let it go. I'm like, son. And my wife's like, this is amazing. I don't have any women anywhere, you know. 
But the truth is, is like, you know what? When she, there was the debate, one of the debating things between those two rabbis, Halil and Shammai, this, I'm not kidding you, this is literally one of the examples. They said, hey, can, can, is it okay if we leave our wives if she burns the toast? I'm not kidding you. That's in scripture. That's in what they were debating. And they're trying to figure out, again, they're trying to look for the way out. And you know what? Over time, your wife's going to fail you. Something's going to happen. She's going to burn your toast. She's not going to do your laundry the way you thought she would, you could, you did, you would, when you had with your mama when she did it that way. <laughs> and, she, and you know what? He's not going to fulfill every need of your heart. That's a lie from Disney. It's, the, the, it's so amazing to me. People come to me. They're like, well, you know, I just thought when we got married, everything would be better. So what I repeat back to them as I go this, I go, so what you thought was is I'm going to take some jacked up dude. He's going to be jacked up. And then I'm going to take another jacked up gal, and she's going to be jacked up. And then we're going to put them together, and then Disney's going to bake it. <laughs> and in magical ways, they're going to come out singing. Birds are going to talk to you. You're going to find out you were a princess, and all things are going to work out. And I don't know if you've noticed, it doesn't work out like that. Can I get an amen? Yeah? No, they, they don't do what you thought they were going to do. And so let's stop assuming that things are going to work out just because we got married. Things will work out because we were intentional. And most people need to learn to walk with an idea of mercy and let it go. She's not going to do the right thing for you dudes. She ain't. Stop making her your all in all. That seat's taken in your life. It's Jesus. She's going to be some things to you. Guys, girl, gals, come on. Guys are not going to be your feast. He's not going to fulfill all the longings of your heart. He's not going to be there for you all the time. That's not possible. Stop giving him a level that he will never win. He's never going to win that game. And then you know what? A lot of guys retreat because no one wants to play a game you ain't going to win. And in order for us to do that, we need to be mercy-driven. Here's what mercy is. Mercy is not grace. Grace is this. Great. We get this confused sometimes. It's the, two, it's the different side. It's the opposite side of the same coin. Grace is this. Grace means we get what we don't deserve. That's what grace means. Grace actually means that. It means, hey, God has given us grace for us with salvation. is God's unlimited grace. It's giving us unmerited, unearned favor. We didn't deserve it. We even sing about it. I don't deserve it, and I didn't earn it. Yeah, you're just like, you know, it's amazing, and I don't sing because that's why. And so it's like we, 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 we understand grace from a salvation standpoint and even in our relationships, but it's not mercy. Mercy is, is, is a little bit of the opposite. This is what mercy is. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. So some of us are good with grace, but some of us are terrible with mercy. And so in your life, so your wife's going to do something wrong. And yes, she did something wrong. You're right. But you need to. Come on. As Elsa said it, let it go. Because the problem is, is every time you lock into something small and minor, small things become big things. And before you know it, you're fighting over burnt toast. Seriously. You're fighting over with the, they didn't put the toys away. He's got too much hunting equipment. He spent too much money on his gym. He doesn't do this for me. She doesn't do that. It's, and before you know it, you're going to find some way to get out. You're going to find some way to jump the fence. And if you're mercy driven, you're going to let it go and let things be. I'm going to close with this thought and I'm done. God has called us to commit to each other long term. And if you're going to make it long term, we need to look away from the fence. Look away from trying to get out of it. Start there. 
And if you've had some moments in your life where you're, maybe you're a divorced person, maybe you're separated, maybe you're on your second marriage, maybe it's your third marriage, I want you to know that we don't judge you. God doesn't judge you. He doesn't love you less. You have a God who loves you. You have a pastor who's for you. I'm for you. And you have a church that wants to make your house a home. And your past doesn't have to be your future. And some of these things, I bet you wish you knew before, right? That's what everybody always comes up and tells me, Pastor, I wish I knew this stuff before. Well, now you know it. Now there's some things, if you're going to get married, man, put this stuff in a journal, write it down in your heart. If you're married right now, this is stuff we could practice. We're all learning. All week long, I walked up to my wife after I made point after point. I walked up and I said, I repent. I, I don't understand this book and I teach it and I just want to do it so bad because I want to be so good for you. And when you walk around being repentful, you know, be repenting, have a repentful spirit, like, God, I'm sorry for not treating your daughter the way that I should. I'm not sorry for not treating your, your son the way that I should. And if you want to make it, I think long-term, this is not the exhaustive list. This is some things, and I think we can use some of these things to make us better. To cleave to righteousness, to cleave to justice, to cleave to loving kindness, and cleave to mercy. If we could do some of those things, I believe we can make it the long haul under God. Amen?